Hey. Hey. What's up? Ha ha ha. Wait a minute. Hello. In the digital age where artists get famous off of singles on streaming services, one man has the bravery, the tenacity to listen to entire albums. His strength is a... <laughs> Fuck it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Buttermilk Boulevard. It's been a minute, hasn't it? Um, I've been out a couple of weeks here, had some things to take care of, of course, uh, you know the story. Um, haven't had much time to record, so naturally that's been the delay. I don't normally do these podcasts besides like every two weeks anyway, but I think there was like three weeks there of a break. You probably don't care. Anyway, welcome back to another episode of Buttermilk Boulevard. I'm your host, James, and today we are going to cover another discography. Um, on this podcast, if you're new to the podcast, we cover discographies of your favorite bands and the artists behind them. If you don't know what the word discography means, you can Google that, but it's essentially I listen to all the albums, so you don't have to, but you should. <laughs> um, so, as we said, I hope everybody's doing well out there. I am finally back to this discography thing that we got going on here. Today we're going to be covering the band called Periphery. If you're not familiar with them, they are a progressive metal band based out of the United States. They are uh, internationally known, but yeah, you should check them out. And just to give a heads up before we get started here, uh, all of the thoughts, opinions, and whatever I say here is should not be reflective of the individual band members, the people that are associated with the individual albums, yada yada, etc. There's my PSA, but as I said, we're going to talk about Periphery this week. So we don't have as much history to cover as we do in some of our normal periphery discography, our normal periphery. Yeah, we do this all the time, <laughs> but uh, we don't have as much history to cover as we do in like, say, the Rolling Stones that we did last time. But we're going to cover as much as we can. A lot of the history regarding periphery tends to around their band membership status and stuff like the individual members of the band and the personnel behind it um, so it's not really a whole lot of talk to talk about but there's plenty of like YouTube videos and stuff on this band they're very um, social media friendly and all that stuff so they're all over the place as far as if, if you're a fan they're very accessible but um, that being said, Periphery, as I said, is an American progressive metal band from Washington, D.C. The band formed in 2005. The current band members are lead guitarist Misha Mansour. I'm probably pronouncing all these names wrong, by the way. Um, other guitarist is Jake Bowen. We have a drummer of Matt Halpern, singer Spencer Sotelo, and third guitarist Mark Holcomb. 
Often credited for the bass is a man by the name of Tom Murphy or Adam Gitgood. We'll kind of get around to what that means for y'all. But so here's a little bit of backstory. Periphery was formed by Misha Mansour. Uh, Misha is pretty well known in the metal community in general um, for his various kind of music projects that he's had. He's a member of like three other bands, um, one of them being like Haunted Shores, which he's a member. Uh, his fellow bandmate is actually Mark Holcomb in that one as well. Uh, four Seconds Ago is another one, and then Man Not of Machine. The lineup changed over several years, um, like a whole lot, but Misha, I mean, a lot of metal bands do this shit where they're interchanging members all the time. There's like hardly any consistency. I mean, Sepultura, its current members are almost like none, almost none of them are like original members of the band. But anyway, getting off track, Misha was the original guitar and drummer for the band. This next part sounds a little bit listy, but here we go. Misha found drummer Jason S. Berlin. So Misha became this lead guitarist shortly after that because um, he was the drummer as well as the guitarist. So yeah, he found a drummer. No, he's no longer the drummer, whatever. <laughs> Berlin moved to L.A. at some point and was actually replaced by Travis Orban for the drums position. Uh, during the first years, 2005 through 2009, the band consisted of vocalists Jake Jerdika, Ger- I believe, Casey Sabal, and Chris Barreto. The band originally began as like a Meshuggah-style gent type of metal band, and then kind of morphed into more melodic sounding and progressive tones and arrangements that they're known for. At this point, I'm not sure there's any other members besides Misha, a singer, and then a drummer in the band, beyond 2009, I should say. Uh, The guy Travis... Travis Orban left the band and was actually replaced with the current drummer, Matt Halpern. The band partnered with Sumerian Records, who recently signed Poppy, hell yeah, (laughs) and announced their debut album, which we'll kind of get to. Periphery has a number of different record distributors from Sumerian Records in the U.S. to Distort Records in Canada, Roadrunner Records in Australia, and then Century Media Records in Germany. Then the rest of the, like, they handle the rest of the intercontinental stuff. So, for context, currently under the Roadrunner scope is Code Orange, Coheed and Cambria, Fever 333, and Gojira. In this moment, remember them, Corn, Slash, and many, many more. Also, if you don't recognize any of those bands, why? What are you doing? Go listen to those bands. <laughs> the other record labels are just as prolific, but I'm not going to list them. That's just, again, for context. It's pretty cool that Periphery got to start out in such a very big metal record label. Um, the rest is kind of history, so just dipping into the albums themselves will just kind of cover some of the stuff that I'm missing here. But before we get to the revu- reviews, let's talk about Tone. Let's talk about Tone. Let's talk about Tone. Damn, it's been a while since we heard that, huh? (laughs) That's good to hear. But so let me put this band into context. The Wikipedia page is smaller than this band than it is. So there's a lot of external research I had to do. I couldn't just base everything off of the Wikipedia page, which isn't that accurate to begin with. So... Uh, They're clearly more of a modern band, given they kind of started in 2005, 
So they're a newer band compared to who we normally talk to. And their first album wasn't actually released until 2010. So you can expect somewhat higher kind of production qualities and mastering techniques that we use in kind of the modern era. The band is very intricate. Uh, It can be confusing. It can be very imaginative. It can be very experimental. It can be whatever the band is really feeling at the time. It's a very fluid and fluctuating tone. It's a very fluid and fluctuating band. But they are consistent in some sounds and themes. They have a sound that you'd recognize when you hear it. And just how they perform and arrange the music as a whole is very familiar album to album. It's only progressive in the sense that it doesn't adhere to kind of the standards set out by the music industry and just, you know, culture in general. Um, They just, like I said, they kind of are very fluid as far as arrangements are concerned and time signatures, etc., etc. They experiment, I'd say, mostly with guitar Um, And really, when you talk about periphery, you're talking about the guitar and the arrangements of the actual songs. The other band members have equal stakes and are equally talented, but this is a band that has three guitars on stage, no bassist on stage, or a rare bassist presence. And then one of the guitarists actually play their guitar in kind of a deeper, darker tones that is reminiscent of the bass in the songs. That's how they kind of cover that bass. Uh, bass bass (laughs) now the music not the live performances have bass they have kind of mini documentaries that they make when they make the albums and a few albums and songs they usually like outsource to a dude who does their bass parts or like the guy who was the bassist when they used to have one used to do it of course but on top of this the band is uh, this is a band that likes to play with Time signature changes, changing tempos, sudden song breaks, and then like different tunings every now and then. Hell, there's literally a whole section of the Wikipedia, and get this, there's like very minimal history, but Wikipedia took their time to cover all of the tuning changes in every song that's kind of telling of itself, like different tunings that the band uses and shit. Oh, and by the way, the word periphery, if you're wondering, is defined as the outer limits or the edge of an area or object or a marginal and secondary position in or part or aspect of a group subject or sphere of activity. Reading that directly from my notes. You're welcome. I don't know if you care. (laughs) So, talking about tone, let's talk about the vocals first this time. I think that's the best route, right? Uh, End on guitar because it'll take me the longest to describe to you. Also, the vocals can be very off-putting at first, so it's better to get it out of the way first. Um, It is very off-putting at first. If you're not used to a band like this, it might come off kind of random. Um, Like if you're not used to listening to this kind of progressive style, when I first heard the band or this style of music, I was also confused because I didn't know why he was combining techniques of like modern metal screaming and stuff with very melodic styles of singing. Um, but that is, once you get used to it, you'll realize that there's a method to that madness. The singer Spencer Solet- Sotelo, Sotelo, I'm going to have to learn how to say this in this podcast, damn it, James. <laughs> the singer Spencer Sotelo, he's very talented. He's got a bit of a vocal range. Um, it kind of intermixes this high vocal range with some melodic chorus lines and then verses. 
And then, of course, he throws in that occasional metal scream I mentioned. It's it's an easily understood scream, though. Like, he doesn't do the typical metal scream where people are like, wow, that sounds like noise. He has a very clear sound to his scream, and it sounds like he's doing it kind of the right way, meaning I don't think he'll hurt his vocal cords unless he gets sick or something. Um, this might be offensive, but he kind of sounds like an emo style of singer uh, intermixed with like an anime theme song. <laughs> Does that make sense? He has like really excellent control of his range and it sounds like he knows his range. I've seen the performances they do kind of on YouTube and such. I've never had the pleasure of seeing him live. And it seems like when he's performing or something formal, he's very casual. He's very laid back and he's often singing with his eyes closed or has his eyes closed almost the entire song. So he's really like focused on what he's doing and the music around him rather than where he is at at the moment. So, uh, and with how like intricate the guitar melodies and stuff, I bet he's got to pay a lot of attention to like the little changes that are happening within the songs. There's a whole lot going on in these songs. So he probably has to maintain some focus like the entire time. Um, unless he, until you get kind of used to it, I guess, which I mean, if you play it every night at a show, you probably would. So I think Sotelo's, uh, real superpower is kind of the lyrics though. I'll get into this a lot in our actual discography review, but his lyrics are very, very well thought out. My guess is that the band kind of makes the song first. At least that's kind of what I saw in some of these like mini documentary series, um, and then he adds the vocals and does the lyrics a little bit later. I think he's writing the lyrics kind of throughout the recording process. But I bet he like sits down and he listens to the music about a hundred times and he finds kind of the melody he wants first, and then he writes down the lyrics. That's my guess, but I'm not hundred percent sure on that. That's how I would do it. <laughs> so I'm sure he's got like a notepad or with like more scratched out lyrics than like Scarlett Johansson would have matches on Tinder. But <laughs> the vocals um, are really like the glue that holds this band together. Um, there's a lot of, they're very random. They're very chaotic and bumpy. Um, so they need that kind of thing that holds the band together. So picture it like, I don't know, uh, air molecules or something. <laughs> thing i know i'm getting scientific but uh like how are how they're all over the place or scattered they're bouncing all over the place but if you put them in like the air into like a bottle it kind of contains that chaos it brings it all together um now it's still going chaotic inside of the bottle but at least it's somewhat contained in there Sometimes he um, forms the melody of the songs with the vocals, so there like really isn't an overarching melody to the music, but he actually brings in the melody. Um, it's really great, honestly. As, as crazy as their lineup changes are, I hope that they never lose or get rid of this dude, um, because Periphery really wouldn't be Periphery without this guy's singing. So... I think I've kissed this guy's ass enough, so <laughs> I got a few more to go here, so let's kind of move on to the next band members. So line up the asses, I got more to kiss. So drummer, you're next. What did I just say? Yeah, the, so the drums are also very impressive. 
I'll mention recommendations that you should probably listen to if you're cool. Um, like that cool 90s kid with high jeans, shades, and a plain white t-shirt. Um, you know the one, Spy Kids 3D, holla. <laughs> but Halpern is out of his damn mind as far as drumming is concerned. Uh, concerned. 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 Uh, clearly it's early. <laughs> so you've still got a little bit of morning voice and stuff. But I'm watching some old videos with him like lying down. Um, laying down these like sick beats and there's like no nobody's so casual about it like he's very laid back about everything they all are but like oh yeah i just thought this would sound good on the song <laughs> if he played these drum parts without backing music i bet it sounds like animal from the muppets <laughs> or wait is that i don't know maybe animals in sesame street but what i'll ask my niece whatever you get it um his movements and our actions are very short they're very close to the drum heads it kind of looks like he hits it only once and then there's five beats that follow that one hit <laughs> so he's got a lot of energy on these drums that is really really fast paced and intricate it's very precise kind of drumming he's another one of those honestly like how the fuck did he come up with this he's one of those people like when you're listening to it how did he even come up with this Get a feel for how he's able to like sit down and pump out these complex drumming patterns. Um, and I couldn't find out whether or not like how he's doing it. It's he's just his mind works differently. But he notes that he often I was reading an interview with him or something like that. But he notes that he often comes up with kind of a generic rock beat first, just finds the rhythm, I guess, and just the general tempo and then he just kind of revs it up from there. So he takes like a normal rock beat and he's like, OK, so, yeah, here's the here's the time I want to be on. And then just goes into it. I don't know if he uses like a metronome or anything. I'm not even sure a metronome would work for a band like Periphery with how weird and time signature friendly they are. But uh, I don't know. But I also know it's common for Misha. Uh, at least some of these documentaries showed it that Misha would. Um, write some of the other band parts on the computer because he did start out as a drummer after all and then would actually send those parts to other band members i think he does them in kind of like a simple electronic format from what i gather it's like here's kind of what i'm picturing the song to be like and the other band members can kind of choose to use that generic beat that he comes up with or change it up it's not a bad idea honestly i know at face value it kind of seems a little bit overbearing um in a group that should be cohesive but it it probably makes the album writing process goes a little bit easier which is like i guess a little bit more important because you want to just get the album out there right you know take your time with it get the album out there and then have people have it out there to enjoy so i don't know what i'm saying anymore Kind of like that one kid in the school project that does all the work. Um, I was that kid. <laughs> so um, when I was in college, I refused to be that kid. And guess what? We all failed the project. <laughs> so the next time I did it, instead of being the guy who did all the work, I coordinated everybody to meet up and force them to work on it. So, yeah, be smart. <laughs> That's kind of how I think Misha is. Uh, everybody does their part. Nobody's really the leader of the band, but Misha is definitely the one that appears to be coordinating the efforts of the group. Um, that's just kind of my theory. Um, 
theories can be wrong, so what do y'all think? I don't know why this is such a scientific episode. I guess it makes sense with the progressive nature of this band, but <laughs> anyway, back to the drummer. He's got a pretty sick kit, yo. <laughs> you should look it up. He appears to be uh, in favor of like interchanging of double bass pedals to snare drums type of thing. Lots of cymbals being used, but in the right way. Um, for those who don't know, lots of drum cymbals and drum heads have a actual tone. So if the song calls for a G, there is sometimes a cymbal that um, at least reflects or resembles that G chord kind of sound. And so you can kind of match the music a little bit better. It's kind of hard to describe the guy. He's a very, very, very good drummer, is very modern sounding as well, with great tone. The production quality is great. They do a good job of recording him. I think they put him in a room by themselves. They get some good natural reverb in there. But often the drums take up the full space of these songs. They don't appear to be in front or behind the rest of the instruments. Again, modern production quality. Everything is very tightly balanced and tightly um sounding so it's very efficient it's a very production heavy type of sound but drums are very precise even at moments of like quick stops with like short silences it's great so he's managed to find a way to hit the cymbal and it goes silent instead of ring out so <laughs> that's the important thing um so the guitars oh boy here we go um i'm gonna struggle here a little bit i'm, I'm gonna mess things up inevitably you know, you'll probably notice that I didn't really go into the bass sound because I kind of mentioned it up top that the bass is often the guitar. Um, there's three guitars in this band. Sometimes they do the same things, some, and sometimes they're doing different things. Water is wet. <laughs> the guitars are, again, the focal part, uh, the focal point of every single song that you'll hear by Periphery. These songs are very much written with guitar first. So listen to a Periphery song and you'll kind of know what parts they do and don't do this. Imagine being a guitarist, hearing a complicated-ass chug riff, and then one, you get the timing right with the rest of the band, <laughs> and two, you have to do it as precise as everyone else. Um, this would take a lot of practice to do the way that they layer their guitar parts. And this isn't layering. It's three guitarists actually playing in sync with one another. It's just like in sync. The guitarists are tearing up my heart because these guys are so precise and intricate that it makes me want to lock myself away and throw away my guitar and say goodbye. <laughs> so furthermore, imagine being a guitarist and not only perfectly syncing with your other fellow guitarists, but going from perfectly synced parts to doing your own individual harmony and then boom, back to the syncing. <laughs> so um, does this sound like gibberish? Probably. As chaotic and crazy as this band, band's guitarists are, it is the precision, perfect, and gorgeous sound that really makes this band. To be honest, this style is probably more appreciated by other musicians, especially guitarists. But even if you're a casual listener, there's plenty of stuff to digest here. These guys aren't just shitting out riffs. Everything is very, very well thought out. They are There is some pretty typical stuff they always include. There's like a little tap riff they do in almost every other song. Um, it sounds a little bit like a video game effect. You'll know it when you hear it. Pretty cool. They do it often. Like I said, you'll recognize it when you hear it. 
Lots of songs have little arpeggio, soft parts, atmospheric reverb, and delay-heavy parts that are kind of like bridges, I guess, of the song. They have a solo every now and then. It's just kind of them losing their shit and embarrassing every guitarist that's listening to them. <laughs> they like to do this little like fast arpeggios that kind of lead to a chord. Um, so like they'll take a C chord and then walk that chord really quick um, or lead into that C chord by hitting the individual notes first. Uh, it's very like, uh, I think they're probably better off being called jazz metal <laughs> than they are progressive. But uh, the crazy chord shapes that they just decide to walk up and down, then they go into another chord and switching up their progression throughout the song. It's really cool. It's very complicated. Anyway, you've heard enough. Let's get into this bitch. <laughs> so... The debut studio album by Periphery was cleverly titled Periphery. <laughs> you know, these people have this like weird kind of techno video game stuff. I kind of wonder if naming their albums went into that kind of fandom because the titles are just Periphery 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> and then the DLC was on their <laughs> spinoff series. I do know these dudes like to actually play like Pokemon Go and shit in between recording sessions. So based on that one documentary I saw on that last album, but Periphery was the first Periphery was released on April 20th of 2010. Haha, <laughs> 420. Nice. <laughs> so there was a lot of lineup changes during the writing process of the songs. During the recording, Casey Sabal, the vocalist at the time, actually parted ways with the band. They had actually almost finished the album when he decided to leave, um, but they had actually decided to re-record the entire vocal um, recordings or whatever that Casey had done with Spencer Sotelo, the most current vocalist. Some of the lyrics stayed the same and some of the melodies there. Um, so they took like Sibal's homework and copied it, but they tried to not to make it obvious. <laughs> I'm joking, but this was probably a smarter route to avoid lawsuits and such. Because if they put out a random like album featuring this guy that's no longer in the band and you know most likely he wouldn't even get paid for it or wouldn't even get the right credit for it so then they, some lawsuit would show up and it's much better to just find a new singer and probably re-record those parts just a little bit more time consuming especially if you have a if you have a delay and then you have like a time frame of when you need to release something. So a deadline, that's the, that's the word. Um, <laughs> now there's a little bit of confusion on the research I got though. Um, it is Wikipedia after all. So it's either Sabal or Chris Barreto, who was the vocalist. I think it was Casey Sabal, but it depends on what you're reading. Some people say it was Chris Barreto. I don't really know how this works. I don't know who either of these people are because they don't really play that pivotal of a role in the albums we'll talk about. Not that they're great musicians or anything. I'm just saying that they're not in these albums. Anyway, all you need to know is that there was some change of vocalist and Periphery had to re-record them with uh, Sotella's voice. So Periphery is produced by Matt Murphy and Periphery. The band members credited on the album were Sotelo on the lead vocals, Misha on the guitar and programming, Jake Bowen on 
guitar Alec Boyce, I believe, on guitar and backing vocals, and Tom Murphy on the bass and backing vocals. Matt Halpern was on the drums. There was a re-released version of the album with a new song called Passenger, which was added later. That was actually recorded by the current guitarist, Mark Holcomb. The first release saw some pretty good reviews and was overall got pretty good reception. Some of the critics noted the lyrical content was well-crafted, and you'll hear me say this a lot, and had very talented musicianship, and that goes without saying. The album got up to the number 12 spot on the U.S. hard rock charts. So how do I begin to review this band? They are a progressive metal band that has so much texture, technical talent, and speed. How does one even review this? <laughs> I cannot really be as if, oh, the chord progression is cool when their melodies are very intricately thought out, their guitar arpeggios in a solo style, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to shoot my shoot and see what happens. (laughs) I think this first album is the one that takes the most getting used to. Later albums will have much more obvious melodies, while this one sounds like a band that found a sound, and they just kind of hoped it made sense in the context of the songs. There's a lot of just drumming like crazy and soloing guitar with melodic singing over top, and that really, it is kind of hard to pinpoint the overall melody sometimes because there's a lot of just chaos happening. They experiment a lot with time signatures. Really, I have begun to kind of notice a pattern with their play style, um, their arrangements over the past couple of weeks of listening to them, because I have been listening to them since my last discography, just to try and wrap my head around what's going on. I knew this one would be hard, so I have technically been listening to this for a while. Anyway, the pattern of these songs have are basically just baseline, and yes, this is a generalization of that's what baseline is <laughs> of a very intricate band. Anyway, it is basically a chord progression, like a G to an A to a D chord. However, in between those chords, they add like these fills that kind of lead to lead the listener to the chords. So if the, the chord progression is a G, A, D, they might take the G and add a little 16 note sweep fill that leads to the A, and then another fill between the A to the D, Um, And it all just kind of leads into each other. Just made all that up. So yeah, that's basically the pattern of this band as a whole. Again, a generalization, but that's kind of how they do it as far as the guitar parts. So what makes each album special? Simple. They have a pattern, but they use it so well that everything kind of falls into place um, like melted butter on a potato (laughs) or more on point of this podcast onto a pancake. Periphery is taking syrup and filling all the square holes on the waffle perfectly, so it's not spilling a drop. Your boy is hungry, and you know you are too. Orange juice. I am struggling to find the words to describe this album. It's the most, and probably will be, the most different sounding band we might cover on this podcast. First, the songs on this album, Periphery, are more fast-paced than future albums will be. Things move a little bit quicker. They get to their resolution a little bit faster. 
The only drawback to this album is that the melody is sometimes, not all the time, lost in kind of the chaos of the flying fingers of the guitarists. <laughs> um, makes it a little bit hard to point out specific moments in the playing because it's just the guitarists going, <laughs> you know, uh, that was a perfect rendition of Periphery. So, I mean, listen to the song Insomnia. You'll kind of get what I mean. That's where they really just kind of start things off. Um, if you listen to Insomnia, these dudes are... If you listen to Insomnia, these dudes are not giving themselves any breaks at all. This would be an impossible task for a normal guitarist, but these guys make it sound so fucking easy. I'm sure this is difficult for them too. maybe not anymore because there was once upon a time, though, that this was probably hard for them just as much as it would be a normal guitarist. But I don't know how they do a two hour set with all this type of playing or rather um, maybe it's a welcome challenge rather than difficult. But intricate scaling patterns, walking up the chords like arpeggios, playing with changing tempos, time signatures and even throwing in the occasional Overused metal riff or rock riff just for texture. So then by God, these guys decide, you know what this song needs? A guitar solo. <laughs> you think they are already crazy enough. Then they decide to throw in a well-crafted and thought out solo on top of all the madness that you're seeing. So I'm like, I feel like I'm giving these guys all the glory here. And well, because I have to, it's complex and melodic all at the same time. I want to do it justice when I can. The problem with this, as I said, is some of the melodies do fall apart. It's really only in this album, so you probably won't hear me say that again. Not always. Again, they're not a perfect band. No band is. No perfect albums exist. Sometimes things resolve a little bit too late. Um, this might go into their kind of experimental style, but for those who do not know what I'm saying, it basically means that when a chord should come in, it comes in like a half measure later than that. So when you think or when you feel like that resolution should happen, it happens a little bit later than it should. Much like life. <laughs> you could say that this is part of their kind of progressive time signature chaos or whatever, and that it's because it's cool and different. New doesn't take... New is, you know, pleasing to the ear or something. I don't know. I'm nitpicking, but... I think I enjoy every one of these songs on this album, and that resolution problem is few and far between. It doesn't happen that often. So for the most part, their melodies are intricate, but obvious. Um, if they got rid of that crazy noodle guitar parts, I bet it'd still have a compelling melody. Like I said, a lot of this has to do with the singer, how he's singing. He's really creating some of the melodies in the tunes. So it wouldn't hurt them if they were just doing a general chord progression like, you know, what I mentioned, GAD or something. I keep speaking in generalities, and that's because it's hard to nail down these specific albums. It's really one of those you got to listen to it type of things, like a joke you weren't there for. Their tone is uniform in each record. Their structures and melodies vary. So it's just a matter of did that song connect with me? And that's the best way I can review these things. Rather than, is their musicianship on point? Because yes, yes, their musicianship is on point. I've listened to these individual albums so much that they're probably already in my 2020 most listened to list on Spotify. So, Periphery 1, just know that the talent is impressive. 
My only issue with the first album is how random the arrangements can be. I mentioned Insomnia, which is no doubt a good song. It can go from a mental metal part (laughs) to like a smooth, soft sounding video game ocean level song, (laughs) you know. Um, Then back to the craziness. So these changes might happen as fast as like 10 to 30 seconds in a song that's only three minutes long. It's abrupt. It's hard to wrap your brain around these changes until you get used to it. It's going to be hard for you. But really, the vocals are holding this craziness together. It's the glue that forms bonds between these insane structures, which I've kind of mentioned. For my drummer boys and girls out there, go listen to The Walk. The drums are absolutely out of their goddamn mind. The song is overall good as well. Not It won't hurt you if you're not a drummer to go listen to it, but that drumming is so bonkers. I'm not sure how this guy keeps up with himself, let alone this song. Some of the songs are guilty of sounding a little bit similar in this album, or some songs end on parts that sound similar to the next song's main riff. For instance, the Walk to the Letter experiment They are clearly different riffs, but because they sound kind of like they might be in the same chord area or the same part of the guitar, they sound a little bit similar. Like You get that feel like when you hear the end of Walk and then you go into Lighter Experiment. It's one of those things you're like, wait, is this a new song? uh, Did I not just hear this? I don't know, but they are different. It's just one of those things, you know. So same thing happens with like letter experiment to the song light, which again, right next to each other sound kind of similar. Those aren't right after one another, but uh, letter experiment and light aren't right after one another, but they're close enough that to the same rift that it's at least noticeable to someone with my keen intellect and ability to detect minute differences in barometric pressure. (laughs) So one of my favorite tunes off the album is All New Materials. Um, Such, such, such a good little guitar part at the beginning. That subtle kind of harmonic undertone that they have from the second guitar. It's really, really beautifully done. There's a lot of that in these songs, honestly. Only you can hear little electronic bits in the background, barely noticeable, but you can hear it well enough that it adds a bit of texture to the songs as a whole. That song, All New Materials, is probably one of the more straightforward songs as well, so really, really good. But about a year before the second studio album, Periphery released an EP called Icarus. While still touring for Periphery 1, the band found member Mark Holcomb and Adam Getgood after parting ways with the guitarist Alex Boyce. Mark Holcomb would go on to be a full-time guitarist for the band and still plays with the band to this day. Shortly after announcing Mark Holcomb into the band, bassist Tom Murphy also left the band, and Adam Getgood actually was assigned to bassist duties, originally being a guitarist. The song then got together... The band then got together and reissued Periphery 1 with the song Passenger. This was a re-recorded song from the band Haunted Shores, which Misha and Mark were both a part of. Now, I don't really discuss EPs on this podcast, but essentially the Icarus EP has a few songs not featured on the album's Periphery 1 or 2. Fire is hot. (laughs) Uh, I did listen to the EPs regardless because I like the band, just to kind of also get a feel for the band and make sure I'm not missing anything that you aren't 
um, that make sure I'm not missing anything that you guys should check out or anything. But if anything, if you do want to listen to anything off of Icarus, you might go check out Frack the Gods. Um, there's a Meshuggah type song on New Groove, but it's an instrumental piece, so it's not too much to gawk at. Um, so with their lineup, which I'll remind you is vocalist Spencer Sotelo, guitarist Misha Mansword, Jake Bowen, and Mark Holcomb. Adam Gitgood is the bassist, and Matt Halpern is on the drums. So don't think I'm going to have to do this much often, much more often, but so don't worry. I don't think I'm going to have to give you this lineup much more often, because I'm pretty sure this is the all the band members at this point. So on June 29 in 2012, the album Periphery 2, this time it's personal, was released. Sumerian Records, Century Media Records, and Roadrunner Records distributed the album, and it was produced by Misha Mansour and Adam Gitgood. During the touring for this record, Mark Holcomb's brother, Jeff Holcomb, would step in and out as the bassist position, but Adam would be the official member of the band for the duration of the Periphery 2 tours, press junkets, and such. Periphery 2 sold 12,000 copies or so in the first week, and reached the number 44 spot in the U.S. Billboard 200. It was ranked number three on the Guitar World's Top 50 Albums of 2012, and overall critics gave it an average of four out of five stars. So here's some straightforward fun for you. This album almost sees a complete shift in the song arrangements for the band. While they are very much like their previous record, there's a lot of change. First, the songs appear a little bit less aggressive and a little bit a little bit softer, close your eyes on a treadmill and trip over yourself falling flat onto your nasal bridge type of songs. Brings a new definition to cardio which brings a new definition to the word cardio, tread lightly. <laughs> the album is much more melodic, softer and gentle with some heavy moments even. I think maybe the tone on the guitars are a bit less harsh. Maybe they're a little bit more bassy or reverb heavy. Not sure why. Probably just turned everything down just a little bit so it doesn't sting the ears as much when you have it really loud. Um, assuming you're not playing this album on full blast like I do. I have the brain of a child and the ears of an 80-year-old man and the immune system of one. I like this album, but I do not think it sparked as much intrigue that some other records do or that, it, you know, it sparked in a lot more people that seem to rank this one high. I honestly think the albums are kind of pre-ranked for me from good to greatest. Um, so I think my least favorite album is the fourth studio album, but we'll kind of get to that. I think that the guitar is playing a little bit more methodical in this one. I know that sounds like a difficult statement to prove, especially since they're very intricate, but it's a little bit less chaotic. There's a little evidence, but it feels it just feels a little bit more thought out. Um, the first album sounds like throwing a bunch of tools under the ground and being like, ah, oh, yes, music to my beers. <laughs> so it was also um, it was also very methodical and on purpose. But this one has more feel to it. Um, am I making sense? No, I never do, to be honest. But here's what I like about this album, Periphery 2, to remind you. There's a little bit more bass to it. 
Everything has become a little bit more laid out, easy to follow song arrangements instead of that mass of chaotic guitar arpeggios. Everything has a bit of a melody with a nice chorus and nice lyrical content. There's some nicely timed electronic bits that add a little bit of flair as well. Almost all the electronic bits are used the correct way instead of being like a gimmicky thing. They are used to increase the melody. Um, They're usually at the end of the tunes as well with some like electronic bit that's kind of reminiscent of like, I don't know, Blade Runner or something or like Mass Effect if you're a video game fan. Um, Sometimes the electronic bit leads into the next song into uh, there's like a like the end of the song Total Destroy. It goes into Erist, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, The like the little bit of electronic bit kind of goes into the next song. But there are some great some bleed over. That's the word. Um, There are some great tunes on this album, though. The starting song Muramasa is a great headbanging tune and but like a little bit softer. <laughs> so you can, you know, like great for rainy weather type of headbang. <laughs> I don't know. The next song, Have a Blast, that kind of speaks for itself. Um, does it not? But some great guitar work in that tune. G is not my favorite tune off the record, but I got to admit, it's got some amazing drums for you drummers out there. You probably will not notice them on the first listen through though. But the drum is amazing. So the bass is great in that tune as well. So there's a little uh, tune for the bassists out there. It's really a testament of skill for the bassist to be just as talented and speedy as the guitarists are. So, hey, you know what's an amazing song? Scarlet. I know that it is typically a fan favorite of musicians or fans of Periphery because it's got a great melody, some intricate guitar work, and all parts of the band are just showed up. Drums in that song are very good as well. The chorus is well done. It's very easy to sing. I will never know how this person hears these songs and is like, yeah, this is how I'm singing it. (laughs) So guitars, meanwhile, will be like all over the place. And then the singer has like a melodic sing song like chorus with well-controlled pitch, (laughs) you know, Scarlet. It's a really good tune. You should check it out. Ragnarok is their Meshuggah-style song, I can tell, because it has weird things and tempos throughout the song. Look, I like the album. It's one of the better ones, but I do do think that some of the choruses don't really land the same way some of the future albums do. Um, but I will rank them if you insist I do, but later, after I cover the five-ish albums. Good album, though. Worth your time. Great for rainy weather, which Texas is all too familiar with lately. Why is it still winter in Texas? I haven't had a winter in, like, years, man. (laughs) I'm over here bitching. Meanwhile, people in the north are literally drowning in snow. (laughs) But us Texans, by now, it should already be about 108. So I ran through that one. Wasn't much to say on Periphery 2. They do some of the same stuff that you're used to. The tonal things, changes happen. Just a little bit tonal changes. But So next two albums we'll be talking about. Uh, let's just move on. So next two albums we'll be talking about are often described in conjunction with one another. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? The Juggernaut series, or just simply Juggernaut, I've decided to separate them, and I will be talking about two albums individually um, because it's peripheries kind of use your illusion style of albums. They're dual albums. 
So the first album we'll be talking about was released in 2015 by Sumerian Records, Century Media, Roadrunner, and Distort Records. Is Juggernaut Alpha? Now, before Juggernaut came out, Periphery released the 2014 EP Clear, which features songs that were written or were inspired by specific members of the band. I'm not sure which song is about which member. I didn't look into it that much, but it's supposed to represent the band as a whole. Um, The EP is about 30 minutes long, and yet it's not an official album. Nonetheless, it is worth your time. You should check out Clear if you got 30 minutes to kill. Okay, anyway, Juggernaut is a concept album. Misha really, really, really wanted to do a concept album, the whole two-parter thing. This album was composed across many years, so some of the songs were already demoed prior to them even being included on this album. Alpha was released in 2015, distributed by Sumerian, blah, 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 I already said this. So much like the previous album, the album received mostly positive critic reviews and audience reactions, getting 4 out of 5 typically on song lists or 8 out of 10, you know, that type of thing. So this is one of the only albums that featured the same band members as the previous album, so something worth a note. The album was number 2 on the hard rock charts, and yeah, people tended to like it. It's really hard for me to decide 100%, but I think this album, or at least record, is um, my favorite. Even though I listened to all of the albums multiple times, more than any discography I've ever done in this my time on this podcast, but this is the album I think I gravitated more towards. I think because it's a little bit fresh and I never actually sat down to listen to each song. I knew one or two songs off of it, but not all of them. But also, I wore out the latest album in 2019, which is my favorite. So I've had my fill of that one, so that's kind of why I kind of gravitated to that. I don't know if you even care um, the rationale why I wanted to gravitate to this one, so I'll just keep explaining it to you. So basically what you got here is, before I get too deep, I gotta talk about what's probably my favorite Periphery song, and possibly what has become one of my favorite songs overall, the title track, Alpha. Figure I'd bring it up early, because why not? All great things start early, like breakfast, sunrises, and ejaculate. This song has a melody like no other. The chorus line is so, so good, and they repeat that melody in kind of the next album, which we'll get to just a little bit slower. It works so well with their style and is very, very cool. It is one of those songs that you hear and you're like, yep, that's a winner. I bet when they came up with the chorus riff, they felt kind of similar. You know, like that holy shit moment. Did we just do that? <laughs> you know, a lot of bands have this too, um, where they write something and they're like, wait a minute, that's a thing. So Alpha starts with like a video game 8 bit sounding thing, kind of leading into an electric intro and an outro the band is kind of known for electronic sorry not electric but there's hardly ever any electronics within the songs it's really just talent the band plays a little bit with time signatures and tempos in the album and in the song alpha really the highlight of the song is the lyrical and vocal performance and you'll kind of see that right off the bat if you go listen to it because you like me and you like my opinions guitars are doing what all other songs do 
it's like a little jazz thing scat. I don't know. <laughs> That's basically what the guitars are doing is that scooby doo bop thing. Anyway, the lyrics are so cool on this song. Like I said, when the chorus comes in, it's so beautiful. I mean, listen to the lyric. I'm just going to read off the lyrics here. I don't often do this, but stop bleeding on the inside. We are alive. It's more than enough to paint the walls that are white. Can we show the ones who are blind? It's a beautiful, gorgeous lyrical. See what I mean? The chorus is great. But I'm pretty sure he's actually saying you're alive, but all the lyrics would just, I don't know, could just be a pronunciation thing. Anyway, if I had to guess, this is an uplifting song about feeling down, maybe like depression or trying to get out of a slump that you're in. But here's another lyric just to rub it in, I guess, the first verse. Um, it's always better on the other side of it, wanting what you will never have. And it's a goddamn broken state of mind. Yeah, the one that we're, we've been living in. Wow, I said that beautifully, apparently. This is just very well written. That's all you need to know. Um, if you have time, you should, one, listen to the song and then maybe listen to it again or listen to it the first time while reading the lyrics. Just compare how they're sung with how it's, that's just, it's just how it's done. That's how you do lyrics. Because um, sometimes they'll sing the first word in the previous verse, like the first word of the next verse into the previous one, which is kind of continue it all. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm suffering from allergies. It's raining outside. It's winter still. <laughs> okay, so on to the rest of the album. It is really good. I really enjoyed this one for similar reasons to the title track. It's really the vocal performance that sells this album as a whole to me. There's not much to say about the talent of the other band musicians at this point. I've really rubbed it in too much. But to be honest, in my discographies, I very rarely discuss the vocals. So it's really a nice change of pace to be able to sit and talk about the vocal performances. The melodies that this guy comes up with combined with the melodies and the intricate work of the bass, guitars, and drums. It's just really cool and it's very satisfying to your ears. But... This is the best way I can describe how I felt by the end of the album, satisfied. Not satisfactory, it is a great album, but you feel so light and fun after the record, and it just makes you ready for some more music. It, it's really a great album to put on when you need something uplifting to kind of raise your spirits. I was listening to Alpha and Traffic the other day, and I mean, what else is new, but... <laughs> and it. I was not nearly as pissed off as I mentioned in the last few podcasts. Um, oh, I also make good food analogies, don't I? Um, so this album is like a dessert that doesn't fill you up. <laughs> so like you just had a meal, you ate a whole meal. Maybe, I don't know, you scarfed down fucking an entire dish of teriyaki chicken and like up like two minutes flat <laughs> so um you or you had like three and a half foot longs from subway <laughs> you weren't so full that you were like you know um maybe i'll get that gooey melted cookie i don't know you eat that cookie or 13 of them and you're just the right amount of full you know i don't know where i'm going with this analogy but basically you're the right amount of full you know the type of full that you don't feel like a fat ass or you don't have to go take a shit right away or you you get it <laughs> so if you need recipes at me so <laughs> that kind of thing where you're just satisfied you're not you're you're in a good place so what else can i say about this one let's see 
I guess I'll just move to the recommendations here. Any of the songs, uh, pick one, pick Alpha, if you're too cool for school. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of good music here. I wonder for a band like this, is it better to just kind of suggest songs based on instruments? Maybe y'all can let me know. Um, Periphery is a hard, hard band to kind of recommend songs to people because if you're not used to this style, it may be a little off-putting. But once you do get used to it, it's just magical. So, sure, I'll just try this, um, and y'all can let me know if this is a good way to recommend songs. A great song for my bangy, bangy, drummy, drummy, McDrummy drums out there is Heavy Heart. It's a cool little tune. Um, It's quite a bit softer compared to the other songs on the record, so don't go into it thinking it's like a metal mashup, but it's got some intricate drum work in it. It's really, really cool. I noticed it almost immediately as soon as you hear the song, too. But yeah, it's got some intricate t- things for those drum parts. You should check out Heavy Heart. The guitar is pretty simple. It's like a simple thing in there. And then the bass is really just imitating kind of what the guitar did. But the drums in that song, they're just like, I've, disounded, I've decided to sound like the ridges on the shoulder of a highway. <laughs> so great stuff, man. Although it's a slow song, the drums are complicated enough and challenging enough to probably keep you busy. But I'm a guitarist. Shut up while I'm tuning, you jackass. (laughs) So Alpha is uh, the vocal song of my choice. Duh. I mean, it's the best vocals part. It has the best vocals part. Bass is a little bit more difficult because it's kind of like a guitarist writing the bass lines. I've seen, or I should say, a six-string bass writing the bass lines. (laughs) So I've seen Periphery play on YouTube um, with no bassist but three guitarists instead. Um, But I also know that they have bass because you can hear it. But also you can see the documentary on the albums where they show their bassist. Um, I think the most bassy song is Scourge. I think that's a bass, but it could just be like a tonal chord change for the guitar. It's definitely leading the song, though, so it's probably the bass song. I don't know that it'd be intricate or challenging for you, but it's certainly a bass song. (laughs) And it picks up towards the end, so there you go. But um, for you six-string cheesy peeps out there, that's a little bit harder. This band is very guitar-centric. You could probably just pick any of them. But when I first heard this album, the only song I put on my need-to-learn list outside of Alpha is 22 Faces. It has that really cool chorus part that the guitar, that guitar arpeggio style thing is going on. It'd probably be really tricky and fun to learn. Sounds a little bit like a sweet pick, but a little bit more vain in the, like, a strobe light. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, a, a really cool little guitar melody later in the song as well. If you're feeling a little bit more metal, then you can go with MK Ultra. It's a pretty cool song as well. Yes, MK Ultra, as in the CIA experiment had something to do with LSD, getting information out of people, that type of thing. So the next album is Juggernaut Omega. Luckily, I don't have to go into this one too much as far as history because it connects with the last one I just talked about. It is considered their fourth studio album, but it's part of the same series as the third alpha. So it's it's part two. It's in-game to Infinity War. It's part two of whatever Harry Potter did and whatever Hunger Games did. So I think you know how numbers work. It's much better to listen to these albums one after the other, Alpha and Omega. 
because Omega harkens back to a lot of the similar riffs and chorus lines in order to connect those two albums. They are a double album after all, so they do connect. Again, I draw a comparison to the Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 that Guns N' Roses did. Same kind of thing. For Omega, the best way I can describe it is by stealing a critic review from Wikipedia, which was also stolen from Exclaim magazine. So Omega is the yin to Alpha's yang. I think this is their jazz record. Some critics agreed. <laughs> so I guess that's technically what I am, a critic who is agreeing with critics, <laughs> but I'm just a dude in his bedroom. I sleep where I record podcasts. It's very romantic. So Omega is a little softer overall. The arrangements are a little bit less in your face than Alpha was. They connect very seamlessly. The song Omega, for instance, is literally the yin to the yang for Alpha. The song Alpha featuring a harken back to the same lyric lyrical chorus I mentioned from Alpha. While Alpha is more skippity doo the Omega is a little bit more sitting alone, solemnly looking at a bus window. <laughs> you know, Omega is sitting silently on the bus, and Alpha is the kid using his fingers to pretend someone's running alongside the train. So it's hard to tell, but looks like the critic reception for Omega was for for Mega. <laughs> the it looks like the critic reception for Omega was a little bit more than Alpha. Looks like the reviews are around eight to nine out of tens or five out of fives, just slightly better than Alpha. It looks like people love that somber sounding shit. My review is yeah, that's something I do on this podcast often say is that I like the somber sounding shit, but in this case, Alpha is better. It's not because Omega is bad, um, but it is my least favorite album in this discography. So now you kind of know your ranking. Omega, then Periphery 1 are my least favorite ones. They're not, none, neither of them are bad. Again, not, neither, neither, ne- no, neither one are bad, but they're just, if, if I had to rank them, <laughs> so Omega feels a little bit more experimental, a little bit more jazzy, a little bit more somber, and I'm repeating myself. It's also the album I have the least to say about. I think the choruses are good, but they don't really connect with me the same way some of the alpha ones did. I think as a whole, if you put these albums together, it's an excellent venture into the like a concept that doesn't always work. Just like GNR's Use Your Illusion, part one was debatably better. For those who are listening, if you are a, a fan of Periphery or not, go listen to them. Let me know which one you prefer. Do you like Alpha better? Do you like, you know, Omega better? Yin and Yang, whatever. Uh, equal opposites. Still no matches on Tinder. I guess I'll try Match.com instead. I tell a bad joke. You don't laugh. Cause and effect. Jelly is better than the Bella. Jelly is the better part of the PB&J. Periphery is the bread. Peanut butter is Alpha. Jelly is Alpha. <laughs> So what's Omega? The knife, you get to spread it. (laughs) So periphery, yeah. So also, isn't that a biblical reference? Somebody can tell me out there. I think Alpha and Omega is like beginning and end. I am smart. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. Even though it's my least favorite album in this discography, dickography, (laughs) it is still good and worth listening to. So I recommend you form your own opinion about it. You should check out Omega. 
Um, I'm also forming this ranking purely on how much I listened to or revisited each album. This one was the least, obviously. Go buy it and support your pan your pans. <laughs> Go support your bands anyway. Why is Omega the one that I have to struggle to talk on? Um, anyway, go listen to albums. Don't listen to singles. Listen to entire bands. But um, you never know when you'll find a pearl in a sea full of oysters. That's a terrible analogy. But somebody please take that, put a sunset in a beach in cursive font, and boom, modernism. Every visco girl will be have that on a printed shirt that is way too big for them, faded and washed too many times. Look, I don't know what I'm getting at. Here's your recommendations. The bad thing is a good thing. (laughs) Priestess has a really cool guitar arpeggio at the beginning that screams, I'm better at guitar than you. Um, Not that they don't already scream that in every album. Really nice vocal part in that one as well. Hell Below is one of the heaviest periphery songs you'll hear. I don't know what they tune their guitar to, but it's so low and heavy. Omega is a great tune as well. You can tell that they spent the most time probably on that one in this album. It also harkens back to Alpha again, using similar melodies and lyrics, just a little bit slower. Um, That's also the jazz song off the record, Omega. Anyway, let's not waste any more of your time. Let's go to the next album. Apparently, I cannot talk when I'm talking about Omega. Somebody out there does not like that I'm talking about about this album. (laughs) I'm not talking bad about it. It's a good album, but still. Periphery 3. Select Difficulty Level was released in July of 2016. The album was distributed by Sumerian Records, Century Media, and Roadrunner Records. Again, produced by Misha Mansour and Adam Gitgood. This album features the same members from the Juggernaut albums, so nothing to say there. This is one of the more highly regarded albums, receiving great critical reviews, although from what I can tell, the reviews were as high as some of the previous two or three albums were. Upon the release of this album, it was announced that the title, or not the title track, one of the tracks, The Price is Wrong, was going to be nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance at the 59th Grammy Awards. The bassist, Adam Gitgood, would actually leave the band shortly after the release of Periphery 3, but all his bass parts were completed prior to the release of this album. I think they still had good chemistry, so that explains why they didn't re-record anything also. Now, this album feels a little bit longer to me. I know it isn't. In fact, it's in fact the longest record is actually their first studio album. This album is about 64 minutes long, so a little bit over an hour. But they all feel a little bit close in length. Um, They all are pretty close in length. Not sure what it is about this album, but it does feel longer. It felt longer to me when I was listening to it. I do think that this album is probably uh, the weakest at the start of it. I feel like it's one of those like animes or TV shows that you're kind of catching it in the middle of the show, even though it's the first episode and you've confirmed it three times and you're like, did Netflix fuck up again? (laughs) You know, one of those um, one of those like follow up episodes that feel like you missed something. Um, like you're mid show and then you go to the next one piece episode and what happened? What did I miss anything? (laughs) Why is this guy dead now? Um, or the show starts and how it like ends when does like a whole bunch of flashbacks. It's only the first couple of songs that really feel this way. 
kind of feels like they didn't think about the track listing, but I'm positive that's not the case because this band is very um, methodical in how they write things. So they are an experimental band after all. You can tell these guys are nerdy given the title, Select Difficulty Level, <laughs> which I'm sure refers to video games. Uh, hey, Periphery, if you're listening to this, probably not. But if you are, have you played Control? Is it any good? Is it worth my time? Should James buy this game? Will it eat up 82, 82% of my PlayStation's memory like Call of Duty did? Are there 308 DLC characters like Mortal Kombat? Also, if you're listening to this, hello. Hello. Back on track, the title is also reminiscent of two other things. Life Sucks is the obvious one, <laughs> but also you can make things a little bit more or less difficult depending on the situation you're in. Also, they are, um, also it kind of probably refers to their level of musicianship. <laughs> so um, these guys are like legendary mode difficulty. But if you but if you'd like, you can choose the easy difficulty level and to get a feel for things unless you're a psychopath and jump head first into the hardest difficulty. I feel like these dudes started with the highest difficulty. After all, most of them idolize Mashuga, and there's nothing easy about Mashuga. <laughs> so this album is darker as far as feel is concerned. Um, maybe it's my imagination, but the vocal performance does seem a little bit darker, a little bit angrier at times. I mean, it's beautifully dark, though. It's like when a movie captures the essence of the darkest parts of life. For example, um, I can the first thing I think of for some reason is La La Land. Um, yeah, I just lost every Metalhead fan with that reference. But spoilers, again, spoilers, if you haven't seen La La Land, the end is very sad. It doesn't actually work out for the romantic couple portrayed in the movie. They kind of, you know reflect on their relationship in a positive manner but they don't end up together i think there's like an alternative ending where they do and they picture a life together or something i i don't really remember all that much it's much more of a realistic approach it's kind of another example is that movie big sick if anyone saw it if you didn't that's a really good movie um, now that movie does have a happy ending but it's a hell of a journey to get there like it's it's a relationship that started off rocky versus the other way around. Um, and that's very, where am I going with this? It's very, uh, basically where I'm going is I knew this band would be difficult to describe, but this is their dark album. Listen to the vocals and you'll kind of see what I mean. Flatline has an amazingly dark lyrical content. It's very uplifting while also being solemn. Well done. Now, this album is my first experience with the band. Um, and it has the first song I actually heard by Periphery. I'm pretty sure everyone has the same kind of story with this band. Um, long before I even began my journey into progressive side of metal, I'm not counting Tool in that statement. Marigold was the first Periphery song I heard, as I'm sure is the same for everybody listening. It's a fantastic song. Very commercially available, but beautifully written. I've never really listened to it before this podcast, like sat down and like listened to it as a critic type of thing. I can't 100% figure out what their lyrics are intending. It sounds a little bit like they're making an allegory out of depression or a song about like the inevitability of death or maybe a little bit of both. It's very dark, yet the song is very beautiful, so it's very contrasting in that way. 
something that you like close your eyes and listen to. You know, it's it's just a really good song. It's like a classical song reimagined as a modern progressive metal song. Um, the violin and string parts really kind of set the mood. Uh, the guitar parts are gorgeous and the flow of the lyrics are very nice and well done. They're very quick and they seem to contradict actually the melody. Um, the aggressive lyrics are a little bit contradicting is what I'm trying to say. Like I said, the lyrics and the vocals seem to be the highlight of this album, maybe even the band. They're well thought out and seem to come from a very personal place. Marigold, go listen to it, fool. By the way, now we stare at the grave cold and paralyzed, pushing daisies while we still feel the sunshine. That line is gold. You might say it's marigold. <laughs> uh, hey, so you should listen to the guitar part in The Way the News Goes. That intro arpeggio is some fucking magic. And then it carries through the whole song. It's wonderful. I'd love to see them play this live. It's a very complex song for the guitar, but also for the piano. Yes, you fucking heard me. There is a piano in that song doing the same complicated shit. The guitar is what? Why are these guys talented? Just give people your talent. <laughs> if there was a talent villain out there, that suck the talent out of these people first. <laughs> so even more so, I don't know how the drummer thought up any of the beats to go with what they're doing. Listen to that song. Uh, the way the news goes and you'll kind of hear the drums in that and you'll be thinking the same thing. How, what, how did he do this? <laughs> anyway, love that chorus line as well. To my little drummer boys and girls out there, habitual line stepper, that is all. Absalom, go listen to that one as well because I fucking said so. <laughs> so why am I so angry now? Um, guys, the song Flatline, go listen to that. Read the lyrics along with the song. It's very beautiful. The lyrics are very awesome. I know I'm taking, uh, I'm talking of the vocalist here as I often don't. I'm a guitarist, but this is how it's done. These are the vocals and how you sing them. Here's the chorus line for you. Spoilers. Send an angel to pull me from the hell below. This weight is too much to own. And this body doesn't feel like home. Gorgeously written and sung. It's also a really cool song. It has a very interesting arrangement, especially the little break, the last minute or so before the end of the song. Really cool. Great melodies, great tune. Look here is the gist of Periphery 3. There's a lot to absorb in this album, and it's truly a great album. It feels a little bit long, even though it's one of the shorter ones. One of my top three albums for the band, but I don't think... I, I do think it's got a few weak points here and there, but the, it's a great album nonetheless. You should check it out. But before I leave this one off, for my guitar peeps out there, Prayer Position is an amazing and challenging guitar piece. Go listen to Marigold. Okay, moving on. The final studio album of the day... Periphery 6 studio album is Periphery 4 Hail Stand. Periphery 4 was released in 2019 and was the only album to not be distributed by Sumerian Records. The album was instead released under 3 Dot Recordings, E1 Records, and Century of Media Records. 3 Dot is actually the band's own record label that was actually just formed during this record. It's the first album that they released under the record label. Now, even though I mentioned Adam Gitgood left the band, he did receive actually producer credits on this album. He was also hired to provide the bass parts. So he didn't really leave the band. <laughs> so to date, this is the highest rated album for the band that they have produced. 
at least as far as the critics are concerned, receiving mostly 9s and 10s across the board. It reached number 1 in the U.S. independent charts and number 64 in the overall Billboard 200 charts. Why wasn't it nominated for a Grammy? Because the awards are dumb, (laughs) and who cares? I've already kind of mentioned this album in a previous podcast. If you listen to my top albums of 2019, you've uh, heard me discuss this one, but I'm sure there's more people, I'm sure there's people listening to this who are tired of me mentioning it, but this one was my favorite album of 2019 for a reason. It's in my number one spot for this discography as well. So if you want the ranking, here you go, Periphery 4, Juggernaut Alpha, Periphery 3, Periphery 2, Periphery 1, and Omega. There you go. So I listened to six amazing albums, and this one beats the entire bunch. It's the best to take this track. It is best to take this album track by track, but here's a few things to note just kind of right off the bat. It's a little bit slower than the other albums. Not darker, but slower. Um, obviously that doesn't hurt the album's quality, but it's much more structured and thought out rather than go fuck yourself. Go fast, Sonic. However, every band member shows up on this record. If not every single song, they show up. The melodies are perfected. The lyrics are amazing. The vocals are amazing. The bass is wonderful. The drums are precise and perfect. I'm kissing this band's ass because it is deserved. You know how Rush is like a musician's band? Rest in peace, Neryl Pert. Um, And middle-aged white guys tend to like the band and flock to him, but they aren't musicians and don't exactly know what they're doing, but neither here nor there. People who respect Rush respect how amazing their musicianship is. In many ways, that's how I kind of feel about Periphery. It's not just as simple as, yeah, they can play fast. They're not just playing fast. They are playing with precision. They have very well thought out melodies and harmonization. You get the feel that they build a melody like an intricate kind of Lego set piece. Then they kind of form a town around that set piece. It's also a very guitar focused band. So duh, of course I like it. Nonetheless, here's the thing. The album starts off with the masterpiece that is called Reptile. This legit is one of the only songs that is close to 20 minutes long that I'd say is worth every second, and I've listened to it a probably uncountable amount of times. You don't just... They split up the arrangement in a way that kind of keeps you engaged and a little bit interested in it. You don't just put, like... You don't just put on Avengers Endgame, a three-hour-long movie, if you don't actually feel engaged and enjoy it, right? Like, okay, between Lord of the Rings and Avengers Endgame, which have a similar runtime, which one would you pick? I assume Endgame. There's a little bit more vibrancy to it. There's less walking. Um, (laughs) There's more character development, about 10 years of character development if you follow the Marvel stuff. They move the story to different locations, focus story parts and specific scenes. They have character interactions that you craved, some that you didn't even know you craved. It is a very engaging story, and by the end of it, you'll kind of wonder where the three hours went. Now, this is a similar type of thing. Reptile is only 20 minutes long, more or less. Kind of starts off the album um, and has so much value worth 
and worth to it. It's got nuances, kind of like Easter eggs that you'd have to find um, and requires multiple listens to kind of find them. So it's really worth your time. Look, this song has a full-blown orchestra in it, so you know they took their time. I assume because they just started a production agency called Three Dot that they're trying to... Since they just started a production agency, I'm assuming that that's why they took this album so so highly regarded and took their time with it is because they wanted to make sure they did this right for the record. So anyway, this song has a full-blown orchestra, and it works really well in the song. What is this song about? I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure it has a deeper meaning than my small mind can fathom. But I do know that it's referencing lizard people a lot, like the whole Facebook guy being a lizard person. He is. If they exist, they do not. But if they do, then Mark Zuckerberg is one of those lizard people. (laughs) So I'm uh, I'm not. I will not be able to sit here and really go over the entire 20 minute song. You're going to have to listen to it. It's very intricate. There's a lot of intricate talent and musicianship being done, but nonetheless, you should listen to the song. I emphasize when you have time to, because it is 20 minutes long. It's like a quarter of the length of your Netflix shows. Um, For this, I will reference the YouTube playthrough done by Mark Holcomb. It's a guitar playthrough. There's also a documentary miniseries on YouTube if you want to spend some extra time on it. Um, It it covers the entire album, but this song is included frequently because it's the one I think they worked the hardest on. There's also more, like the rest of the songs are more periphery songs, and this one is kind of their like masterpiece. But there's also a more recently live playthrough that they did, just uh, recently released. Um, Can't remember the channel name, but I'd bet they shared it to their periphery channel. So look that up. You can just type in, you know, periphery reptile and see what pops up. They do a few songs, so it is pretty cool to see them play it. But they, that playthrough that I mentioned where Mark Holcomb is doing the guitar playthrough, Mark does, the things he's doing is mind-blowing. You should really go check it out and pay attention to what he's doing on the guitar. Don't just watch the video for the hell of it. I have uh, I have used it a lot when I'm trying to learn this song, which I am because I see it as a challenge. I wanted I wanted to challenge challenge myself to learn this song and the style of playing that I am unfamiliar with, and I'm not used to it. It's really opened a lot of doors to like interesting techniques and riffs that I never would have considered. The band actually has really helped me find my own so- own sound as well which has taken me years to adjust and perfect and all that stuff, and I'm really proud of it. But I know you don't care, and I'm not a progressive musician, so when I say they found my style, it's not progressive. But <laughs> but this level of intricate chord progression mixed with these fast sweep-style arpeggios and alternative tunings is really inspiring for a guitarist, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I'm pretty sure my guitarists out there would agree if they listened to it. Um, it's it's one of those that you see and you're like, wait, you're allowed to do that? <laughs> you mean I don't have to just sit around playing the backing tracks? I can be my own backing track type of shit? So anyway, however, enough of that. This is a difficult song to play. I don't know if it's their most difficult, but it's certainly the longest and probably challenging in that regard. In addition, it's only a six string, but it's tuned to fucking G what a mad lad so (laughs) the guitar also has uh flavors in it like they use some interesting spices in your chicken rather than salt and just salt and pepper 
uh, it feels like uh, a periphery song, but it also has some great like jazz chords thrown in. It's got some metal chugs that people would like, some arpeggio delay stuff in it. And then there's a random like classic rock riff thrown in for good measure. You'd recognize it once you hear it. You'll know exactly which one is the the classic rock thing. Um, pinch harmonics, all that stuff. It's like a wet dream. It's just, it's their masterpiece. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, go listen to that. So there's still another eight songs to talk about. So we got to move on here. Blood Eagle is a really cool metal tune. It's the single off the album. So duh, it's worth your time. Love, uh, I love the song Church Burner. That chorus is really fun to sing along to, and it's also a pretty metal song. I mean, hell, it is called Church Burner. <laughs> it's got darker tones to it as well. Uh, even has kind of like a metal breakdown thing going on a little bit later in the song. I don't know. Drums are really carrying that song to the home plate. Um, like a triathlon, um, and that last guy has to like bike his way to victory for the team. He's got like that awesome fill near the final minute or two that's just fucking killer double bass thing. I don't know. The ending has like a feedback from the guitars that they took and they made a beat out of it. <laughs> yeah, literally like they took the feedback and I guess Misha mixed it like some of their electronic techniques or whatever and mixed into like a beat. Um, I don't think they use it to the point that it's obnoxious, but it's pretty cool, and it closes out the song. It's almost always the closure of a song, so if you don't like it, you could skip it. Um, Garden in the Bones is my second favorite song off the record under Reptile. I really like that song. It's very catchy, very melodic, and the lyrical performance is actually really well done as well. It's a little bit more straightforward for the band. It sounds like a periphery song. Slower pace with some easier-to-understand guitar parts as well. Honestly, it's very nice, relaxing tune, and the band's kind of normal, chaotic talent. It's also got some nice little electronic melodies building some of the background atmosphere to the song. You'll kind of notice it every now and then, but it's pretty cool. It's also the loudest bass song that they have. Yeah, they have a bassist. Sorry, bass players. I don't feel like I've given you all enough credit on this playthrough, but you have a song to go listen to, Garden in the Bones. Again, three guitars, a drummer, and a host of electronic effects, and a singer. What bass? <laughs> Kidding. But Garden in the Bones, great bass stuff going on there. It's a bass-heavy song to begin with. Go listen to that. It's Only Smiles, another good song. Pretty relaxing. I love uh, I love that they make like a little electronic intro that kind of copies the riff of the guitars. I don't know which came first, but it's really cool. This is probably the heaviest as far as the electronic bits are concerned. Really drives the verst for the most part. The verse, verst, the hearst, <laughs> really drives the verse for the most part. It's a really killer chorus line as well. Um, also, hello, bass. I see you've decided to come again. <laughs> they turned it up a little bit in this album, I see. It's Only Smiles also has one of my favorite guitar solos the band has, period. The solo is beautifully written, pinch harmonic, creaminess. It's like butter. It's so great. Follow Your Ghost isn't that interesting to me. Um, sounds like they tried to make a heavy metal song, but I guess it doesn't really connect for me. Not a bad song, just not my favorite one off the record. It, it kind of sounds like a Muse song a little bit. Again, sounding like a broken record, but really like the vocals and the lyrics in there. 
Sentient Glow, which is literally the theme song of an anime. <laughs> as many theme songs uh, as One Piece had, you know, this one could fit in perfectly. I mean, wait three episodes, One Piece will have a new theme song, but um, it's also the most uplifting. Here's a little lyrical uh, snippet for you. I have to trust I will pull through. This is the end of the suffering. Great shit. Just picture the sun rising at the end of it. As the song fades out into melodic closing, a small silhouette of figure stands just in front of the light of the rising sun. What is the figure? Who is the figure? What is this mysterious and uplifting shadow? A dildo. Satellites is the final song on the album and a fitting conclusion. Dildo Satellites and Orbit Scum. Satellites is a beautiful song, man. And here's me hoping that every time I saw... I said, beautiful, that you're taking a shot, a flu shot, because vaccines are important and political statement. Edgy. Satellites is a great end to this entire podcast, not just this album. It's such a nice song. Yes, I did take this one pretty fast. I got somewhere to be. I got to end this shit. <laughs> so you can picture kind of a lonely structure floating through Earth's atmosphere, just witnessing time pass us by. It's also a slow, low, slow. Bleh. It's also a slower and sobering song with calming tones, calming spacey electronic effects, fitting of a satellite. They have a piano, a nice little harmonized vocal line. Really, really good shit. Satellites is one of the better songs on the record as well. Then suddenly, distorted metal drop. Because, <laughs> like, goddamn, summer rainstorms in Texas. <laughs> so gives you like a black eye and then makes you call it daddy but this is a song about global warming or at least climate change from what i gather not as straightforward as that um not as straightforward as probably that is concerned and but periphery is all about like those analogies and allegories and double meanings so the song also ends with the wonderful quote by the awe-inspiring south park Suck my balls, quote by Cartman himself. Put that on your inspirational poster, Visco Girls. So yeah, it's a great song. It's a great album. Go check it out. Look at the time. Time to end this bitch. Tom Hanks, you for listening. That's it, guys. I didn't say this up top, but I have an Instagram page. I have a Facebook page. I have a Twitter page. I don't post that often, so it shouldn't irritate you if you decide to follow uh, I think I might actually start doing some album and song recommendations for you. I'm kind of working on like a format I want um, just to give myself just to post a little bit more frequently and give you all the chance to comment or, you know, message me or anything that y'all want to do. I mean, I have social medias for that reason. If you enjoy the podcast, think about subscribing, maybe following, tell your friends about it. I mean, it's free for you. It's free for me. <laughs> um, besides the time it takes to do it, it's free for everybody. So um, consider subscribing. Consider liking the podcast just so I know that you listen. If you have any suggestions for the future, um, any bands that you want me to talk about, any topics in general that you'd like me to discuss, I don't usually talk about sex, politics, or well that's about it um religion <laughs> that's the other one right what's the important ones uh to avoid uh the things that are not safe for work type of shit <laughs> i don't really talk about those things so don't expect me to discuss those but uh you get the idea i talk about music here music 
is a world language. Much like math, it is easily understood. And you look nice today. Uh, thanks again for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the Periphery podcast. I really like, really, really like this band. And um, I will continue to like them past this podcast. Um, some of these other discographies that I've done, I'll like listen to an album and then I'll be like, you know what? I enjoyed that. And then I haven't revisited it since. Looking at you, Elton John. <laughs> 30 studio albums though man what do you want (laughs) but uh that's gonna be it guys i have other podcast uh episodes out there i don't know when i'm gonna post the next one probably in about two weeks or so um i think the two week schedule is a little bit easier for me to do it it takes a while when you're riding solo to do all these things and i'm also working on my own music and stuff so but thanks again for listening i appreciate it um, Tom Hanks you, but, um, so, or T Hanks, <laughs> um, that's it guys. I appreciate y'all listening. As always, I'll just keep saying it. Thanks for your support. Um, I'll see y'all next time. Y'all have a great week. Y'all have a rockin' Easter. I'll probably talk to you before then. Um, but thanks. Yeah. This, in- this outro is dragging on, ain't it? Fucking end it, James. Is it over? Why are you still in the theater? (laughs) Thanks, guys. Rock on. (laughs) 